Anita, how's your mental health? <laughs> Questionable <laughs> at all times. You know this. Yeah. How's the mental health of your children? Um, also a little bit tricky. Can I tell you my experience in trying to find therapists for myself and my kids, Mel? Yes, please. Okay. This is how it goes. You ask around your friends and your family for a referral for somebody who's nearby. You finally find somebody who sounds like they might work for your family. You give them a call and you find out that A, they're not accepting new patients or B, they have a huge wait list. So you start over again and you ask people if they know anybody who would be a good therapist and a good fit. Finally, you find one, you go and you meet with them and you figure out that you don't actually like them that much. But it's been so much work to find somebody who you can go to in your area that you're kind of stuck with them. Well, do you have any ideas for how to get around this? Um, I do, because guess what? I've actually had some therapists that I have found on my own, which involves what you're saying. Sometimes I remember one time I was like three hours in the bathtub on my phone looking through yeah. websites. I was such a prune at the end. But I have also had the experience with working with BetterHelp and it was like, I, I don't want to say too good to be true, but because it is true, but it's like amazing because I was matched with my therapist within 24 hours. And you didn't have to go through all of that other ridiculous process of trying to find somebody. And here's the cool thing too, is if that person didn't work out for you, you can just switch and say, and it's not like you're committing to another years long search for somebody who you're going to jive with. It's true. And I lucked out or maybe just BetterHelp is really good at matching people together because I never had to change my therapist. I loved her. Perfect fit for me. And I know that some of our friends have used BetterHelp and they've had to change therapists and boom, same day can change. Easy peasy. You can ghost your therapist. <laughs> Get a new one. I love this idea. BetterHelp is one of our sponsors. If you use our promo code, trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN, you get 10% off your first month and we totally recommend it. Yes. Get some therapy. That's <laughs> trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN. Anita, what? I'm scared of you now. Why? Because you're the recording meanie. I know. We just spent 15 minutes trying to make sure that there was no excessive noises. Because she doesn't like this. When I make ah! noises. She tries to punch me in the face, but we're on Zoom, so it does not work. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mel. Fine. It's okay. I just have to edit it, and it won't come out. Nobody cares but me. It's like a grass stain. You can't make it come out. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, listeners, for making too much noise. It's okay. They didn't hear most of it. Because you edited it? Probably. Probably. Good job. How are you? Um, I'm, uh, I don't know. Good. Fine. What's the answer? What's, what do you ever say? C. None of the above. I'm all those things. What have you been up to then? Well, remember how I started a meditation music channel? Uh-huh. Well, now I, on my regular music channel, my Melanie Sure music channel, I started making these videos of the piano roll coming down. It looks like rain. The notes yeah. are raining down. Yeah. And then the bottom, I'm playing the keyboard. It's all thing. I know. You sent me one of them, and you're a magician because you have four hands playing at the same time, and apparently they're all yours. They're all mine. And it took so many programs, but now I have eight videos, so I guess I'm really fitting the ADD vibe. And <laughs> I know. You're and like, I have a podcast. I have another podcast. I have a, I have two YouTube channels. I have a, a website. 
I'm playing I'm Legends so of Zelda. Is that the game you're playing? Yeah, right now I'm playing Zelda, the new Zelda game. So I know it's, I'm very on brand for my brain. Yeah. But my, my meditation channel has like 16 hours worth of music. So that's cool. I don't know. I guess I'm just in the zone. The less good I get at social interaction, the better I get at creating <laughs> digital content. <laughs> digital content. So that's what's happening with me. What about you? It's a really good question. I'm a plumber because, yeah, I just had to retrieve some earrings from the under the sink. And you guys, when you take off that thing, that's the trap. I believe it's called the trap. Listen to me. I'm one of the Mario brothers. I'm a plumber. <laughs> it smells gross. Ew. Yeah. So then I had to fish out these earrings that had been dropped down there. And I did, and I was like, go me, who needs a husband? I'm a plumber. Right? And were yeah. they your earrings? And so you no. didn't know they were there? Aww. I wear earrings. They're my daughter's. She dropped them this morning, getting ready for church. And ironically, today I was getting everybody ready for church, and I forgot that our church time changed to noon. And so at 11.56, everybody was in the bathtub. I was like, <laughs> oh, Crap, I thought it was 12.30. So it was a mad dash to get everybody out the door, and we were a few minutes late. And I said when we were in the car right outside the church, everybody, when we go inside, let's be quiet and let's not draw attention to ourselves. So what happens? My four-year-old runs inside, right inside the chapel. They're praying, and he says, (laughs) we're here. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Not for you, but for comedy. During the service, um, he started screaming, so I clapped my hand over his mouth, and then he started yelling, now I'm going to get the coronavirus! (laughs) Did the whole congregation turn around and just stare at you or start laughing? They're just used to it? Yeah, they're just like, poor, poor widow Anita. They're like, there it goes again. Yeah, and if somebody does turn around and look at me and give me the stink eye, I flip them off in my brains because I'm like, you do not understand what it took to be here and what it takes to sit here and the end, you are excused. Yes. Yes. Mic drop. Mic drop. Yeah. Did anybody at church pull up any good Bernie memes? Because that's been (laughs) making me really happy the last few days. Isn't it funny how such random things become... So joyous. <laughs> I was just gonna say, like, part of the cultural fabric, you know, it goes rampant and then it's everywhere. Viral. And it's something, yeah, and it's something so innocuous that becomes amazing like that. Did you see the one um, that was from Ghost, the movie Ghost? No. Which is totally on on. It's pertinent for us because you know, Ghost is about a dead dead person. Dead, yeah, ghosts. you know the pottery scene. I actually have not seen Ghost. What? Okay, there's a pottery scene, Mel. And instead of Patrick Swayze, it's Bernie Sanders behind <laughs> Demi Moore. It's great. I My cousin is trying to... Well, I asked my cousin and my sister to see if they could crop in Bernie creeping on a picture of me and Scott at our wedding because there's also my sister and her friend in the background already of one of the pictures 
they're they are hunkered down and they are making the mr burns evil hands so i'm looking forward to that i hope you guys create it thanks bye bye i know i think everyone is so over all the things and so isn't it funny that something as silly as that has made everybody laugh and that's what comes out of it so um (laughs) guess what i've been doing mel what i have been on instagram if you guys have not been on instagram lately you should go because i have been making polls for people to answer for widows and widowers to answer p-o-l-l-s not like a poll like a fireman poll that would be fun too or like pole vaulting well hmm no, no, mom. It's not a stripper pole. It's questions that are, and they keep coming to my brain, and I'm having so much fun doing it. And I love that you guys are answering, and it's so interesting to see what the answers are. So they're really fun. Good job, Anita. Yeah. I'm really proud of you. I have by a the ton way. more questions. So head to Instagram. If you miss the story while it's up, I'm putting them in the highlights so you can at least see what the outcome was for everybody who answered it so yay we love it when we get interaction you guys so thanks also it's so weird being a digital content creator right because you don't really have a a good feel for if people like stuff or not unless they hit like that dumb little like heart or they comment i know and i know so many times as i look through content i don't ever respond or like mark like or whatever and now that i'm creating it it's like oh it means so much to the creators that actually are doing it because it takes a lot of time so guys leave us a comment and a review and a rating and subscribe and do all the things it makes us it helps us to know that it's helping people or at least there's somebody out there that's listening because sometimes i feel like it's just you and i mel and nobody else is out there so are you out there hello is it me you're looking for? Dang, my piano's not on right now. Dang it. Everybody, Anita has been having a rough few days. Yeah. And you know what's going to help her to feel better? And me, because I'm her widow wife, and so happy wife, happy life, is if you give us a good rating and review for our podcast. That would That's going to awesome. help her. Would that help you feel better, Anita? That would help me feel better. That would solve all my problems. All of them. Except one. What? The dead husband one? The dead guy. Yeah. Hey, guys. It's time for the Patreon patron patronage shout out. We'll start with our dead husbands. First, we have Dawn Satterwhite. Katie Kuntz. And David Kelly. Yay. Then we're on to our widow besties and widow wives. Thank you to all of you as well. We have Marie Hoffman. Lori Farrington. Emily Thornton. The Fancy Lady. Jamie Aliota. Christina Scambato. Shannon Helm. The best gravy maker in the north of Utah. Yes, her. Marjorie Lewis. Black Wendy. Ashley Hahn. Kara Scara. Jenny Taylor. My mom. And my mom, Sylvia. Karen Cornejo from Canada. Rachel Barbosa. Ileana Bell Ruiz. Anna Tracy. Gabe Lozano. Erin Posick. Jenny Barrow, who is the bringer of tacos. Really? Yes. Jenny, I want some tacos. Christine Anderson. Diana Becker. And Sarah Morris. 
Thank you all for your support. You guys rock. Thank you for allowing us to do what we do a little bit easier. What is coming up today, Nita? I cannot wait. This is going to be an episode that is not quickly forgotten. (laughs) Let's just say that it was a matter of life and death at one point in time. And blood. And there was blood. So, if you want, this might be a little bit of a janky interview. It might not flow so well. We need to clarify, the subject matter is not what we're talking about. We're talking what happened during the interview. Yes. This happened over two days because of said incident, which you are about to hear about. I thought it was hilarious and (laughs) sad. It was something. It was an adventure. Um, So please be kind while listening and realize that things did not go according to plan. But seeing as this is an experiment in our lives, we are beta testing our own lives. This is what you get. Yes. Right? So enjoy. Yes. And just know everything turned out fine in the end. Yeah. Everybody's fine. That's not already dead. Yes. I'm Anita. I'm Mel. We're two young widows about to take you on a grand adventure, and we're trying to figure out widow Widow, we we do do now. now. I get to introduce our guest. It's mine. It's my turn. Finally. Finally. Okay. Are you ready for this? Yep. Our guest today is named Lorinda Hopper Beetle Lefevre. And are you ready for how I know her? Okay, this is my favorite because when you say it, like, it's confusing. So, Lorinda is my brother-in-law's sister-in-law. Stop. I have widow brain, Anita. (laughs) Why? I know. Walk us through it. Yeah, okay. So, Lorinda married my brother-in-law's brother. That's not helping at all, is it? So, basically... (laughs) Anita's brother-in-law's named Mark. Yeah. Mark lives by me. Yes. Mark has a brother. Yes. And that brother is married to Lorinda. Right. Sometimes we assume that unless we had a huge life insurance payout, we don't really need to know anything about investments or even finances. But guess what? A little knowledge of finances is critical for all of us. Maybe your partner was in charge of that stuff, and now you find yourself making all the decisions. Maybe you're mad about that. Maybe I am. Nicole from the He's Gone But the Money's Not podcast is here to help. She tackles financial literacy by telling the stories of women and widows and finance experts and shares the lessons they've learned as certified financial planners. Whether you know a lot and feel confident in your financial decisions or feel unsure about all of that stuff, there is more to learn. Listen and subscribe to the He's Gone, But the Money's Not podcast on all podcast platforms. This ad was paid for by Rock House Financial, an SEC-registered investment advisor. And um, I have known... How long have you and Michael been married, Lorinda? 20, 20 years. What? I know, right? That's it's crazy. Not- that's I think you're mistaken nope we got married in 2000 really (laughs) yep 
my gosh. Okay. So isn't that when you got married, Anita? Are you I were was, married for yeah, like a we were year? Married a year before that. But gosh, that's been okay. a long time. Anyway, so, Lorinda has been kind of in the periphery of my life for a long time. And we chat at family occasions, but I've never been able to sit down and get the nitty gritty details of her life. So why is she here on our widow podcast, Anita? Well, because she's a widow. What? What? I know. So before she married my brother-in-law's brother, her first husband died. So the guy she's married to right now is not dead. But the first guy is dead. Well, that's complicated because she's still technically married to the first guy, too. So her current alive husband is not the dead one. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Lorinda, I'm just so glad that you're here to straighten all this out. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Lorinda, what are you wearing? What is this pink stuff you're wearing? This is my Hello Kitty pajamas. Oh my okay. gosh, you and Mel are made for each other. <laughs> we are each other's people. Yes. Yep. Okay, Lorinda, let's go back to before you were a part of my life and tell me how you came to be in the widow club. Okay. Boo. So I'll I'll try to be as brief as possible, but I'll start at the beginning. Right after I graduated from high school, I um went to BYU. I moved down to BYU and I was like not going to get married. I'm going to get my master's degree. I'm going to be, you know, whatever. Anyway, I had been there for, you know, a couple of months and I met this guy and his name was Mike and it was pretty much love at first sight. He was a few years older than I was and he was going to Utah Valley at the time. He was going to a different school. Um, but we were in the same kind of apartment complex. And so we got to know each other and I knew that he was like a really special guy, but I was so troubled by these feelings that I was having for him. Cause I was like, I just barely turned 18. Like I was pretty young. I went to college when I was 17. And so I just had barely turned 18 and I met him and I was having all these weird feelings and he was having weird feelings and so weird I, feelings well I mean you know like, like you liked each yes, other you guys like just wanted to have sex love. with each other let's be honest <laughs> it's, it's true oh my gosh, you, don't have to, you don't have to put that in there. but that's what those weird feelings going are. to so your mom can hear what you're up to <laughs> so yes we were in love we wanted to get married but I kept breaking up with him because I'm like this is crazy I'm too young and but he was just like such a great guy you know like I dated a lot in high school and obviously they were like high school kids that I was dating, but they like, whenever I would break up with someone, then they were like mean and nasty about it, you know, but this guy, he was different. He was like so kind and so generous and he was always just really respectful and just treated me really great whether or not we were dating. So um, we kind of just kept dating off and on and, and, I think we got engaged around Christmas time. Anyway, we were going to get married following Christmas, but then basically what Anita said, (laughs) we wanted to get married. And so we got married in May of the following year. And so we dated probably for about nine months or something and got married. And we decided to go out to California because his family lived in California. And we wanted to go out there and spend some time out there um, close to them. 
And so we moved out to California and we're working in the family business. And his family was like, just stay, just stay out here. Don't go back to Utah. So I enrolled in the community college out there and we started work, you know, we were just working and going to college and pretty soon we started feeling like we needed to start our family even though I was like, no, college first, obviously. But we felt, you know, like we had this strong feeling that we needed to do that. And so um, we started trying to get pregnant and it took us a while. We didn't get pregnant right away. But um, eventually, a couple of years later, we had this cute little baby boy named Wesley. And it was wonderful. I loved being a mom. It was so great. Um, and my sister, so... Mike's sister, Barb, was um, also pregnant at the same time. And so we were like planning our babies together and we were planning this life we were going to have and the cousins were going to be raised together. Well, so when her baby was two months old and Wesley was three months old, we all decided to take a trip back to Utah because we needed to take my nephews back to their mom. They were having visitation with their dad out in California and we need to drive them back to California. So we drove them back to, we were on our way driving them back to Utah from California. And when we got to Wendover, my mother-in-law was driving and she got distracted. She corrected, overcorrected. Our van rolled three times and um, my baby was ejected from his car seat and he was killed instantly. Barb, my sister-in-law, was ejected from the back of the vehicle, and she was killed instantly. My nephews were ejected from the car, but they were not killed. My mother-in-law was seriously injured. I had a really dislocated shoulder and a broken wrist, and I had head trauma. I was in a coma for several days after that. And yeah, so that was crazy. That was like a crazy time. And in our family, it's almost like we measure time like before accident and after accident. You know, when you have something that's that traumatic, that's kind of kind of what happens. But um, anyway, so we lost our baby and our sister-in-law and my mother-in-law lost her daughter. And it was, it was just, it was horrific. So then after that, I, I had, my recovery was pretty long. My husband was not sure if it was going to be normal. Like I was super loopy. I mean, head trauma, right, Mel? And so. Yep. <laughs> yes. You had head trauma. You were in a coma. You're recovering and your baby died. Can you talk us through that? That's a lot. Okay. When I, so as I started kind of coming out of the coma and every time I would wake up, I would say, bring me my baby. Where's my baby? And my husband would have to explain to me what happened. And then I would fall back asleep and then I would wake up again and I'd be like, where's my baby? Bring me my baby. And he would have to explain it again. And poor everybody, poor him. Poor I know, you. poor him. It's like 51st dates, the extra nightmare <laughs> yeah. version of it. <laughs> Groundhog's day. Exactly, Shoot. exactly. Um, how old was Wesley? He was three months. Oh, so he was little. Yeah, he was little. And, you know, I mean, he was in a car seat, but I mean, here's how old I am. This was back in the day before we knew that car seats like had to be a certain way and installed in a certain way and fit a certain way. And this was like a hand-me-down car seat. And I had the straps like tied in the back and he was a big baby. He had gained, like he was 18 pounds when he died. 
he was born at six pounds and he tripled his body weight in three months. And so he was a big baby and I had just loosened the straps. And so he wasn't, you know, in there like he should have been. So my sister-in-law's daughter lived, she's still living. <laughs> That's good. And, and she was killed. And so that was really hard. You guys have like tra trauma. <laughs> trauma. And, uh, I didn't trauma, know this I know. either. I mean, I thought you were going to say your husband got ejected and got killed. I didn't know it was everybody else. We haven't gotten to but that part guys. yet. Oh, we're just man. at chapter one of the stupidest oh, story man. ever. Right. I know. Okay. So anyway, after several months, then I was able to kind of start functioning again. But I just want you to have this image in your mind. If I had this, I had my right arm in a sling because my shoulder was dislocated and I had my left arm in a cast. So I just picture going to the bathroom. That's I exactly where have... my brain went the first time. So, I mean, obviously my husband had to help me out a lot, but also my blessed aunt Marianne, she was amazing. She got to take care of me during the day while my husband is at work. So anyway, it's good. But um, so after a few months, we decided that my husband wanted to continue his education and we decided to move back to Utah. So we'd lived in California for three years and we decided to move back to Utah. And um, so we moved back to Utah and I think I might've already been pregnant with my next baby when I moved back to Utah. Um, so we had, we had another baby William and he was cute. And then we had a couple of years later after that, two and a half years later, we had his brother Wade. And so when Wade was almost, no, Wade was just barely one year old and Mike woke up one morning and he had like a pain in his chest, like in his rib cage. It was like a sharp pain in his rib cage. And so we went to the doctor and the doctor was like, oh, you've been working out. Okay. It's a separated rib here. Have painkillers. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so that's the answer um, for everything. Right. And so a couple of days later when he still wasn't feeling better and the pain was worse and he was kind of feeling sick and feverish and stuff, we decided to go to my childhood doctor, who's like a good diagnostician. And we went to him. He's like, okay, you have pneumonia. Take this antibiotic. And um, if you don't feel better in three days, call me for sure. So three days later, he did not feel better. He felt worse. And so we decided to go to Instacare. And it was interesting because I was like, okay, the way to Instacare is like three hours. And I was we like, call that's fine. Prolonga care. <laughs> right. So, so I was like three hours. That's fine. Right. And my husband's like, no, let's go to the ER. So we went to the ER and I should have known something was horrible because we were rushed past all these broken, you know, they did triage and we were rushed back past all these bleeding and broken bodies after they'd ruled out HIV, you know, um, some different things, they decided to send us to an oncologist. And so I didn't think that was a big deal either because I didn't know what an oncologist was. <laughs> I was a baby, like 12. And <laughs> I like how they went straight to HIV too. Like, whoa. I so know, maybe you were right? like, oh, cancer, not so bad. It's not HIV. Right. <laughs> yeah. So um, 
so they sent us to an oncologist and he had a bone marrow biopsy, which if you've ever seen one of those, that was like, I almost passed out. Anyway, he got a bone marrow biopsy. And after that, they're like, okay, so here's the deal. You have leukemia, you have AML, acute myeloid leukemia. And, you know, but we have pretty good success with treating that. It's like 60 to 80%, which I'm like, that doesn't sound very good, but okay. <laughs> but then, um, so, so they sent him straight to the hospital and um, did induction chemotherapy. And that was pretty horrible. You know, it made all his hair fall out and stuff. But um, after, so while he was in the hospital with that, they just, they got like, I guess they culture some things, they grow it and make see how it's going to grow. And they decided that he was going to need a bone marrow transplant. And his brother turned out, they tested all his siblings to see, you know, who would be a good match for the bone marrow transplant. His brother, his only brother that was a match for the bone marrow transplant was his brother who had at age four drunk nitric acid laced with mercury and dissolved his esophagus and had to eat out of a feeding tube until he was 17 and had his esophagus rebuilt. And so he was like, you know, everyone's like, no, not David, you know, but David was the match. And so it was awesome. He was completely willing to give his bone marrow. Anyway, so he had the bone marrow transplant and he had engraftment from the bone marrow transplant, but then the cancer came back and it was pretty rapid. And the doctors, uh, you know, finally got to the point where they're like, okay, there's nothing more that we can do for you. You've had your lifetime limit of radiation and we can't help you anymore. We can't do this again. When they, when the doctor said, sorry, there's nothing more you can, we can do for you. Then his parents were like, okay, let's go to this alternative medicine place in Reno, Nevada, and see what they can do. So we did, we went out there and he had three treatments there. And they was like, you know what? No, I want to go home. This, it doesn't feel right. It's not good. So. Cause Reno is like the center of all of the cool <laughs> stuff in the world. Right. Gotta no, get um, yourself to Reno. Reno. Yeah. I mean, it was like kind of like base, their philosophy was, you know, we're using like Eastern medicine, but they're like Western trained doctors. So it was like best of both worlds. Right. But we got home from Reno and we had home health nurses and, you know, they were hospice nurses, but again, I didn't worry because I didn't know what hospice was. It was interesting because he, up until the last, he didn't ever want to have morphine because he didn't like the way it made him feel and so he was pretty present all the way until the last in fact like a few minutes before he died he's like I have to go to the bathroom so I had to take him to the bathroom I know some people say that dying isn't you don't want to be with someone when they die and there's like a death rattle but it was really one of my favorite experiences in life I wouldn't trade that for anything he grabbed a hold of me and he told me that he loved me three times and he gave me a big kiss. And then he started telling me something really emphatically in a language I did not understand. Aww. And then he took a couple of breaths and then he was gone. So that was the story of him dying. And so we were married for eight years before he died and he had leukemia for nine months. He was diagnosed. Wow. Were you... 26 at this point yes so you're 26 you had a dead baby and then a dead husband what was it like after I know it's you know we all know the stories of going through grief but what was your perspective on that 
I mean, you were already grieving a baby and then you were left with kids. So here's the thing about the baby. And I'm not going to say that I didn't grieve losing the baby, but I really felt a strong peace about that. And I feel like I know that he's okay. And I know that I'm going to see him again. And like, I never really, I don't know if I had like an out-of-body experience while I was in a coma. I don't remember anything about that. I just know that I came out of that experience with a measure of peace and I felt okay about it. You know, not that I never, I'm sad about it. Like I'm sad right now. And um, as I saw Wade growing up with a big brother, I was sad that Will didn't have a big brother, you know? So it wasn't that I wasn't, that I didn't grieve that, but also I was so busy recovering. Part of me was like, I'm glad I don't have a baby to take care of right now. I wouldn't be able to take care of him. It's so, it's so interesting because it's like that push and pull that we feel through all of grief, you know, the, the happy and the sad and the thankful and the angry all at the same time. And I do, I do wonder if, because your brain was scrambled for a little while, if that changed how you, you know, cause I've treated a lot of brain injured patients and they can go one way or they can go the other way. So I will say this, that, um, I actually did, did say some weird things at the time, like after he died, you know, with my scrambled brain, I said, I think one time I said, you know, it's a good thing that he died because he was a redhead and that, you know. <laughs> that sounds so classic head injury, though. Like, right. you have no filter and you say things and they sound totally rude and you're just like, what, you know? It sounds like some of your Jason stories. Yes, bike I, Jason had a head injury, so we went through some of that. Plus, I've just treated yeah. when I used to work at the rehab uh, rehab hospital, but you can either people either become like hyper emotional about things like that and they can't think of anything else or they're like weirdly distant from it. You know, there's kind of this weird where you're not thinking about it, but I mean, I don't, I don't know. That's just a really interesting thing to have gone through. Also people say that my personality changed after, after my head injury. And I personally think that I was nicer after that so that's, you know, dang it. I was thing. hoping you swore more. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yes. So you're 26, your husband died, you had a baby who's died. Do you think that um, having your baby die taught you some things that prepared you to grieve for your husband, or was it completely different grief processes? I would say that it's completely, and like it was completely different. I don't know that. There's anything like, and you know, a lot of times people will ask me, they'll say, what's, what's worse, losing a baby or a spouse, you know? And first of all, I mean, my gut reaction is to be like, well, your spouse, because when you lose a baby, you have your spouse to lean on, you do that together. But also there's really no comparing. I mean, grief is like whatever you're going through and whatever you're going through right now is the worst because that's what you're going through right now. So I don't know that there's really any comparison. Yeah, to that. for sure. I mean, even if you get your leg cut off, you grieve that. 
you know? Right. And it's like, yeah, that's sure. the worst thing in the and world. That's but... the worst. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. There is no best. There is no worst. Except for I always say that whatever happens to me is the worst just because I want <laughs> right? to be like... <laughs> I want to be like, oh, you other people me. can shut up because I have it the worst. <laughs> Whatever happens to me right now. The corner right. Yes, yeah. yes. I am the suffering the most. That's what it feels like. That's what everything feels like. Yeah, yeah it's so yeah. true. So what was life for you after? <sighs> so what was life like for you after your okay, husband died? Okay, so first thing that happened after my husband died um, is I went shopping and I got some really pretty dresses and I got my nails done and I got my hair done. And so I could be cute at the funeral. I mean, that sounds really weird, but like that was important. People took me to do those things and, you know, so that I could feel comfortable. And, and I almost think like I was looking at that, at that picture of Anita um, at the funeral of Jason and she has kind of a goofy look on her face. And I thought, you know, that's what, you do, you go back to what you're comfortable with. You go back to that comfortable place, you know, and my comfortable place was I can do this. I can dress up and get pretty. And that's one thing I can do. You know, I felt so out of control in so many other areas, but that's one thing I could do. That's funny. Cause that's not typical for me to get all dressed up and be like, people came <laughs> and did my makeup. I don't know how to put on makeup. Right. So that was kind right, of. Right. But I was just thinking the goofy look on your face. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's more normal. <laughs> that's more normal. <laughs> but everything <Right>. else. <laughs> okay. There's some serious screaming going on. Like somebody's hurt. So <laughs> I'm going to be back. Anita will be back. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> this is my They're faking it. They're so faking it, right? Continue and she can just okay. jump back in. Um, I think she has her headphones and so she okay. can still hear us. But you can't. So you're in yeah. Utah, um, which is. Oh, I have a bleeding back. child. Someone get so hurt. I. You guys can keep talking for a minute. I'm back. Be back. Okay. It's just me and you, Lorinda. Oh, all right. Okay. Hey. hey. <laughs> yeah. I need to go take somebody to get stitches. So. Okay. Bye. 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 Okay. So you're living in Utah. Now, Utah, of course, is a highly concentrated religious area. And what was that like for you being 26 and a widow and living in that sort of culture? You know, it was interesting because the, I think that that had a little bit of an effect on the things that people said to me. You know, like they said things like, well, you know, at least he's in a better place or aren't you glad that you'll be able to see him again and families are forever, you know? And I'm like, aren't you glad that I'm about to smack you? I don't know. You know, <laughs> oh, like that doesn't help me with the right now. That's like my biggest thing right? where we get through to holidays. And I mean, of course there are so many good things that can give us strength when we are in a, a community like that, or when we draw from things that can be inspirational. However, I think it's so easy for for things to be glossed over, especially when they're in these 
weird circumstances. It's like, you're not supposed to be widowed at 26. Right. I want to approach this in like a thoughtful way that's not slamming anybody. But do you find that, that in, with what people were saying to you, that there's a tendency to go straight to the end and like, well, everything's going to be okay because yay, yay for Jesus or whatever. But you're here in this middle and you're like, this is struggling and it kind of minimizes that. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's interesting because now 22 years later, I'm starting to get it. I'm starting to feel that it's going to be okay. And I'm starting to get what they were saying. But at the time, literally, it made me homicidal. I wanted to really hurt people. Like, they're like, it's all going to be okay in the end. And I'm like, yeah, and you're going to have a broken jaw in the end. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it was like really hard. (sighs) That's one thing that I wish that more people would understand and and is one of the purposes for our podcast or having people with different experiences on here. It's just like, guys, there's this big gap, not gap, but there's this big stretch where you're not okay. And maybe you do feel homicidal and you know, just because now you're 22 years, should that make your, your, your previous 22 years be glossed over? Like, no, it's so hard. I had three friends named Brenda and they all three had kids that were the same ages as my kids. And they were amazing. They were wonderful. They would each take my kids for one day a week while I was at the hospital with my husband. And, um, you know, cause my kids were one and four, so it wasn't, they weren't easy, you know, and they needed constant supervision and care and they were so great with them. And the other person that really helped me out was my friend Darlene. And, um, so during that time, those people were such a support to me. And even afterwards, you know, like they, the day that he died, one of my Brenda's was upstairs and the other one had my two kids at church, you know? So just like a huge support, but I also found it really interesting that after, after like, so like jump to a couple of weeks after he died or maybe even a couple of months, I don't know, you know, people, even people who are close to me, um, would say, you know, like I'd run into them at the store. They'd be like, Hey, how are you? And I'd be like, you know what? Life is a pickle pie with a side of it sucks. And they would just look at me like deer in the headlights. I would, and I was like, Oh, you didn't really want to know. Did you, <laughs> like, you, you just wanted me to, right. You wanted me to just go, Oh, fine. It's great. Happy yeah, day. Don't right? ask. <laughs> and yeah. And so it's not, it's not happy period. So as much as people, you know, were supportive also, it didn't affect their daily life. Like it affected my daily life. And even, you know, even I think it was really, really hard on his siblings to lose him because he was their big brother. And because he was just, you know, like they looked up to him and they wanted to be like him and, and everything. And and so I think it was really hard on them and on his parents, but also it didn't affect their daily life like it affected mine. 
the person who loses their bedmate and their person that they see every single day, day and night, like they get up to pee in the middle of the night and there's their person. That's who it's going to affect. Even even whatever the status of the relationship is, like say you guys are, people are in a fight or whatever. It's like, it still affects every single thing that you're tied into. And and it's easy to, to get into the, I'm the most injured of that. Because really, I mean, yes, it's so hard for everybody, but like, is there anybody else on the planet that can say, because this person died, now I have to move out of my house, or I have to look at his clothes in the closet, or, oh, there are his shoes. Oh, there's his little, like, he laid on this side of the bed, and so his that part's concave, right? And it's so hard. It's That makes it, I think, really hard to not, for me at least, turn it into a grief contest and I have to catch myself like right oh how have you navigated right. Right. that I mean you have a lot of years of experience of being a widow behind you so you have a longer perspective than we do so I mean it, it's like I said I really feel like there's no comparison and the more that I've witnessed other people's grief it's like whatever they're dealing with right now at this second they're not considering how bad my grief was necessarily although I have had people say to me you know whenever I feel bad about my life I just ah! think about your life <laughs> Thank you. and then I realize it's not so bad <laughs> I'm like yeah there's You're that like, I'm glad to be here thanks <laughs> oh man yeah. um how was it dating will you talk to us about that because that's where Anita and I are like oh, we can't even think okay. of that so Here's the weird thing about that. So I didn't ever kind of like put on a black shawl and walk around with my face all, you know, whatever. <laughs> like a vampire? I think that's <laughs> um, you know, like I I I started dating right away. And I mean there were reasons for that. Like, first of all, I liked being married. I didn't want to be single. I didn't want my kids to not have a dad. I wanted more kids. Like I had this feeling in my heart that I had daughters and I didn't know how that was going to happen. Um, but I, you know, I think also on that note, I think my biological clock was ticking. It's like, you know, I'm 26 and that doesn't seem very old, but when it comes to having kids, that's not young, you know, I mean, so, so I kind of wanted to just kind of get on with life and not to say that. And I think a lot of people, I mean, I think they tried not to judge me about that, but I think it was hard for them because I think they looked at that and they thought that I wasn't grieving because I was dating, you know, and I, my grief looked so different than I thought it was going to look. And I literally had thought through this, you know, I had, it, even though I didn't really think he was going to die, I had lived with the possibility. I had thought through the possibility of it. And I had thought, here's what I'm going to do. And I didn't do that. I actually stopped sleeping and I stopped crying. I didn't cry for 10 years. What? I know it crazy. Congrats, I think. <laughs> no, you no, it was horrible. A lot of Kleenex. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I save money on Kleenex. No, but here's the sad part about it. I mean, like, 
there were times when I wanted to cry when it would have been appropriate to cry and I couldn't, you know, and um, in fact, so my brother-in-law is a indie movie maker and he had me be in a movie where I was supposed to cry. He put onions in my eyes and I could not cry. Like there were no tears. There were no tears there. And so, I mean, I, now in my life, I think the tears have returned with a vengeance, but I am grateful for them. I'm grateful for tears because I couldn't, I couldn't cry. I just, I don't know if I couldn't face it or kind of what that was, but I, I just, my grief looked really different than I thought it would. Did you seek out any mental health counseling? Because in that time, I mean, when was this, was this in the nineties that this stuff happened? Yeah. Yeah. So this was in the nineties. And, um, it's funny because when I lost my baby, my aunt, Marianne said to me, there would be nothing wrong with you getting some help as in like medication at this time, because you obviously have had some struggles and there would be nothing wrong with that. And, you know, so like I knew that, but I just never, I didn't feel depressed and I didn't feel like I needed that, but I didn't have counseling at that time. And I didn't ever recognize my depression until I was remarried and had one and a half more children. So that's when I kind of recognized that I needed some, I mean, I did go to counseling. I did go to counseling after my husband died. I went to a couple of years of like weekly therapy. I think that the depression that happened when I turned 30 was partially because I turned 30 and, you know, just different things. And, um, and it just got to a point where it was affecting my daily life, you know, and I, I needed to, to do something about that. But um, I'm sure I could have used help before then. I'm sure I could have used medication before that. I just didn't ever follow through with making that happen. And I don't know if that was, you know, I mean, it was a little bit of a different time. You know, it wasn't quite as, and maybe that's me that's changed too. Like I'm just way open with like the fact that I take medication and it helps. I graduated high school in the year 2000, and I remember being at my first year of college, so 2000 to 2001, and figuring out I had seasonal depression, and I was so excited, first of all, to figure out that there was a reason, Uh, and then just finding resources were kind of difficult. I mean, compared to now, where everybody's talking about it on social media, so I totally, yeah, I mean, and that was in 2000. So in the 90s, I'm sure it was like there was no internet, right? We weren't talking about it and there was still a big stigma. I know. Isn't that the weirdest thing? Like we were barely getting the internet. Man, that dial up, I remember thinking it was so cool when I could connect after 40 minutes, (laughs) but it was slow. (laughs) So, okay. What? Oh man. What kind of feelings did you have? Like, so you said you didn't really have a problem dating. You dated right away after, right? Well, I mean, it wasn't like I didn't have a problem. Dating was so stupid. I hated it so bad. It was the worst. It was awkward. It was like meeting people, first of all, was weird. And how did you even meet people back then? Like you had to like actually talk to people. I know. (laughs) I actually talked to people like, oh, okay. So I went to this dance and it was the worst. It was 
like these guys that were grandpas were like asking me to dance. I'm like, no, 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 no. Oh, ah. So it was horrible. And I, you know, I mean, and there were a lot of people who were older that um, had shown interest in me and most everyone, you know, it's interesting because um, there was one guy, I told you, um, my friend Darlene, had helped take care of my kids and she was kind of like a grandma to them. And I knew that she had a son that wasn't married. And so I was over at her house one day and I met him and we kind of started hanging out and he, he had, you know, he was familiar with my kids and he had helped with my kids and stuff. And, and we were good friends and we um, hung out. We even went on some dates and stuff, but I mean, I didn't have any real feelings for him. And so that didn't really go anywhere right at first, but, um, but I, like I said, I, I didn't want to be single. And so I dated a bunch of guys and I met a guy who I felt like had like a similar family background to me. And he was, you know, nice enough or whatever. And he had been divorced. And so I, you know, we started dating and we actually got engaged. And when I, got engaged to him, then Darlene's son, who I'd been close friends with, like totally stopped talking to me. And I was like, wait, what? I thought we were just friends, you know, but he was like, kind of mad at me. <laughs> so, and, and it's funny because I mean, so anyway, this guy that I was engaged to, apparently we weren't either one of us really that ready to get married. It was like two weeks before we were planning to get married and we hadn't sent out announcements yet. So we ended up not, we ended up just like not getting married and it all worked out good. Um, but it was interesting because the day after I broke up with that guy, my friend showed up on my doorstep. <laughs> and here's the funny part. His name is Mike. Also, my first husband was named Mike and this guy was named Mike. And so at that point we started dating for serious and we dated for like another year and then we got married. Yay. So now when was this, how old were you at this time? So I was 28 and he is my same age. So we were both 28. Do you think in hindsight it, it was to your benefit that you weren't interested at first so you could build a friendship? I definitely think that. Yeah. He was so great with the kids and he was so great with me and he actually was pretty romantic. And I should have seen it, but I, you know, since I didn't see, I don't know, I didn't have those feelings for him. And so I didn't know that they were there. You know? Did Mike too have to come to terms with the fact that you had a Mike one <laughs> or did it go pretty smoothly? You know, he's weird that way. It kind of actually bothers me that he doesn't feel more jealousy. <laughs> like, I think he should be more jealous, but he doesn't. He's actually really great. He encourages that. He takes the boys, he takes the kids to the cemetery. We all go to the cemetery. I feel super blessed in that his family totally accepts my older boys and my first husband's family totally accepts my new husband and my kids. That is like an anomaly. I know. It's amazing. It really is. It's, it's really so if you could offer one piece of advice to people in the same stage as maybe Anita and me so I'm almost I just am, am three years out she's almost two years what would you offer to us so 
I think I would say be grateful for tears. Because you couldn't cry? <laughs> Just like be grateful because I couldn't cry. And it was, I don't know. I, I just, I think be grateful for the little things, you know, and it's hard. I mean, you can smack me. You're no. so homicidal right now. No, because <laughs> because if a widow okay. says it and you know the widow has been through hell, they can kind of say whatever they want, I feel like. If you were not a widow, I would feel very homicidal. Yeah. Right, right. Okay, I get it. <laughs> and well, and the thing that's funny is, don't you find that you know less of what to say than you would have if you hadn't been through this? Like people will call me and they'll say, I know someone whose husband died. What do I say? I'm like, and you got me. I have no idea, no clue what to say. I can agree with the idea that you should say something and not nothing, but also whatever you say, don't be offended if they get their feelings hurt because they're hurting and anything you say is going to be hurtful, but anything you don't say is going to be hurtful too. So, you know, I mean, so, I mean, some of the things that people said to me were really hurtful. And there was one thing that was particularly hurtful, but also the person who said it to me was really hurting too. Is it too. appropriate to share you know? or do you have to keep their identity and the comment safe? No, I mean, I mean, I think I can share it. Because we um, like the crazy stor stories. <laughs> I think I can share it. Um, so his mom actually said to me, and I, she probably doesn't even remember saying this. She probably, you know, like, in thinking about it, she would probably never say it again. She's like the nicest person that you could ever want to meet. But um, she said to me at one point when I was dating my husband now, she said, well, it's easy for you. You can replace your husband. I can't replace my son. That's a ouch. ouch. We've heard that people have had that said to them and it makes our little widow heart so sad. That was probably, that was probably the hardest thing. But again, like I said, she is the nicest person and I love her so much. So, you know, and she was hurting, you know. You know, when you learn a new skill and it's like the more you start learning, the more you realize you don't know. And sometimes, do you feel like that on the grief journey, like the more that you are aware of certain things, sometimes like maybe when you're at the beginning and things are really raw and fresh, you're like, I know what you should say. You should say X, Y, Z, and you should not say X, Y, Z. And I have it all mapped out for you. Oh yeah, I totally, I was going to write a book about it. I was going to be like, this is what you should not say. And this is what you should say, you know? Yeah, that's why I started my blog. I was like, oh, everyone needs to know about this. But then like months go by and it's like, oh, you see so many scenarios from different perspectives, even though you have your own and maybe your quote truth kind of changes over time right because you and so I almost feel like it's like learning a new skill like this totally unrelated to widowdom but like learning jazz piano I'm a jazz pianist it's like you're only able to absorb what you're able to absorb at that point and it's like you would think oh I'm along this journey of jazz therefore there must be much less for me to learn it's like well there's so many nuances and so many different ways you could go that it's it actually makes you appreciate everything else more so you do you feel like that with grief kind of yeah I feel like that with grief but also I think it's just kind of a maturing process too you know like whether or not you've had like a big grief 
come into your life. I think, you know, I think the more you live, the more that you realize, you know, everyone's going through it. And, and it's funny because when I went to my um, 15th high school reunion, I realized after talking to everyone, I was like, you know what? Everyone has something. They might not have lost their spouse, but they've got something, you know, some kind of crappy something has happened to everyone. Yeah. It's so interesting to realize that and to have empathy for others that are not in your same situation. Okay. Hi, I'm back. Oh, wow. (laughs) Remember that one time I had to leave really suddenly in the middle of a podcast? (laughs) Those are the good old days. The good old days. So Mel and Lorinda continued for a while as I took my son to go get stitches. So I kind of don't know what's going on, but I'm going to hop back in here and it's going to be great. Welcome back, Anita and Lorinda. (laughs) This portion has been recorded the day after the great finger cut. The great finger cut of 2020. Okay, Mm -hmm. so as I understand it, you guys have introduced the fact that Lorinda got remarried and now you have a new husband. And how has that been? So here's the interesting part about it. I never in my wildest dreams expected Mike number two to be Mike number one. And because they're so different and Michael Lefevre has so many good qualities and so many awesome things about him that Mike Beadle didn't have. And Mike Beadle has so many awesome good qualities that Michael Lefevre doesn't have. But I went into marriage expecting marriage to be a certain thing, like what I thought marriage was because that was what my marriage was. You know what I mean? So it wasn't like I expected him to be the same person. I just expected marriage in general to kind of be the same. And, it and wasn't. so, no, not at all. And, you know, he shows love in different ways. And it took me a few years to like really feel loved. And like I said, he doesn't have a lot of jealousy. He really actually feels close and he feels a connection to my first husband. And so it's not, I, in a way, I wish he felt more jealous, you know? That's so, so interesting because I think it takes yeah. a special kind of person to be able oh, to sure. marry a widow and to not have those feelings built in. So sure. has he been cool with having family pictures up and including your first husband in all of the oh, things? Oh, totally. Totally. He does. And on his on his birthday, he's the one that's like, hey, let's go to the cemetery and yeah, let's do all the traditions that we've always done, you know. Do you find yourself comparing the two of them in your head? Did that happen earlier on and now you're past that or that didn't happen for you? I don't think so because like I said, they are so completely different. They're nothing alike except for their names. Their names are the same. I think you secretly (laughs) just married him because then you wouldn't ever get his name wrong. Yeah. Because we had had one guest and she's like – once I called my, or I think she said she did it a few times, called her second husband, her first husband's name. She's like, that was not great <laughs> to happen. Right, right. Has your second marriage been hard because you were married previously? Or was it just hard because all marriages are hard? I have to say that the first year of our marriage was like bliss. It was heaven. It was like living in sin. It was so... We just had a blast. Even though we had two kids, I just like it just seemed fun and easy. And then after that is when it got hard. We talked a little bit about this. Um, I got 
depressed and and my depression didn't show up as in like crying or sadness it showed up like anger and irritation so it's always irritated with him no matter what yeah and um and I didn't realize that until you know we had almost two more kids <laughs> so yeah that that was kind of what made it hard I don't know if you guys talked about this before but you have two more kids with your second husband so I now have four more kids with my second husband. Okay. How has <laughs> the joining of the two sets of kids been? You know, we don't ever like say stepdad or stepson or stepbrother. We just like brother and sister. It's all just one big happy family. And that's just kind of the way that we've always treated it. And, you know, they have their issues or whatever, just like regular siblings. And there's kind of a big space in the middle. There's like five years between the two sets of kids. So it feels like two families sometimes. Like my older two are both married and my oldest of my second family uh, just finished high school. So. Yeah. So fun fact, your son was in my husband's class. Yes, he was. He and he remembers him. And he taught him. Fondly. Yeah. Yes. So that's kind fondly. of funny. So you yeah. guys didn't really blend families you know, because it wasn't like no, one because, with kids and, and it was like you made yeah. your own new family. Right. And we stayed in a house that we stayed in a house that I lived in already. Mm -hmm. Partly because we didn't want to have more upset for the kids, like another change, you know. Um, but I think that that's been hard. That's been one of the harder things for my husband because he feels, I mean, it's not like he doesn't feel it his he's we've remodeled this house so many times it's a completely different house but I just feel like he wishes that we had done more of a fresh start yeah because he's on your turf or he's on right right Michael, Mike number one's turf so to speak and for me it was so much easier to stay here just because my people knew my story yeah you know and I mean you know you tell people your story and it makes them sad and then you feel bad and yeah I have a really hard time with new people in my life like I'm like you don't understand like who right. I was and, and what I had and what I lost and so I can't explain that to you is, my my question that's hard and and people think that I'm dumb <laughs> like they think that I'm mentally challenged which I am but um like they'll ask me how many kids do you have and I have to pause and think about it like not that I don't know how many kids I have, but how well do I know you and how well am I going to know you? Yeah. Do I tell you I have, you know, eight kids or do I tell you I have six kids? You know, like just the whole thing. Because we have one, we have one daughter in the middle that's kind of adopted us and we've adopted her and we love her. So. <laughs> okay. You're so I complicated. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. That's okay. How well am I going to know you, Anita? Yeah. I know what you're saying though. You're like, how much of my backstory do you, do you need? And you want. Yeah. 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 And how much am I willing to, to give yeah. to you? Um, so I just happen to know this cause I'm in your, in your periphery, but your second husband ended up with what? Cancer. Yes. So, okay. I had been married to my first husband for seven years when he was diagnosed with leukemia. And I had been married to my second husband for seven years when he was diagnosed with lymphoma. So, I mean, you know, I get that it's not all about me, but it makes you kind of like feel bad. <laughs> like feel like I'm the one that caused it, you know? Did that bring up a lot of the same feelings that you had 
before? It was scary. Yeah. I was afraid that I was going to lose him, even though, you know, typically, and they told us this, they said, if you're going to get cancer, you should get Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is what he had. Well, I think it's really interesting when we talk to people who seem to be thriving after many years, because I think that um, Mel would agree with this, but when you're right in the new phases, it's really hard to imagine that you're ever going to thrive again. So I think that's why it's so positive to talk to somebody who is a little ways out. Not a little ways. I mean, 22 years is, I mean, that's like a, that's like a whole adult. I know. You can gamble. You're, you know. (laughs) I can gamble twice. Yeah. Anyway, I just think that it's great to have that perspective and to see somebody and think like, oh, it's going to, it's going to be okay. Yeah, I do. I do want to say this, that I feel a little bit ripped off that I can't say I've been married for 30. Like when people say, how long have you been married? I want to say 30 years because yeah. I've been married for 30 years. You know what I mean? But I have to be like 20 years, <laughs> like as if that's no big deal, right? Be like, yeah, <laughs> right? I've been married 20 plus eight years. <laughs> you could just compile both marriages together. Thank you, Lorinda. I really appreciate you talking to us, and I appreciate you talking to us twice under very strange circumstances, and I'm kind of glad it was you and not somebody who doesn't know. A stranger? Yeah. No, I mean, it's like, ah, <laughs> uh, because at least you know that my life is crazy, so I appreciate that. Mel, do you want to ask Lorinda the most important question? Lorinda, what is your favorite cheese? Assuming you like dairy. Okay. You guys are going to think I'm weird, but this is the weird part. So my favorite thing to do is get one of those string cheese sticks and put it in my pocket and carry it around all day until it's really soft and gooey. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I know. Right? And then I open it and I like drink the goo and then I peel ah! the string off. <laughs> okay. Okay. Lorinda, I actually have a gift for you because I was sitting on my couch the other day. <laughs> And I found a string cheese that was probably there for about a week. And it was exactly that consistency. So if you want an yes, early Christmas present, I got oh, those all over my house. Lorinda, do you ever just open the string cheese and put it in the microwave for five seconds? I do. Okay, yes. that's you don't oh have to gosh. even like make it sound weird by saying this like, conversation is turning very special. <laughs> pocket cheese. Thank you for joining us today on part two of the two-part-in-one Crazy Bonanza of Lorinda. Remember to join the Widow Wives Club and answer all the questions. We've been getting some real doozies of applicants lately. It's kind of funny and annoying at the same time. Have a great day. Until you listen to another episode, I'm Anita. I'm Mel. I'm Lorinda. And we're just two young widows and one widow who's been married for 20 years and eight years and her husband's only been married for 20 years and we're just trying to figure out widow we do now this is my favorite thing to discuss with you tell me what is it one of my favorite things i do enjoy tacos and cheese and dogs this is about how you cannot pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a phone plan especially when you're a widow your person is dead you might have kids You might need another option and you just want your phone to work. You want unlimited texting and service and you want it to be like 25 bucks a month.
it blows my mind that they have plans that start at $15 a month. That is so cheap. And the cool thing is, is it uses other 5G networks. And so you don't have to pay extra for that. And you still get great service. Yep. Anita and I have traveled all over and I have used my phone. So I highly recommend it. And my mom's even on it. When my dad died, we put his phone down to the cheapest plan, which is $15 a month. And I think my mom's on the $20 a month plan and it's so worth it. It's so much cheaper than what we were all paying before. So I highly recommend it if you're on a budget or not, who cares? Ryan Reynolds is in charge of the company and they send you free stickers with Ryan Reynolds temporary tattoos. It's kind of the best. So. If somebody wants to sign up, what can they do, Anita? Go to trymintmobile.com slash WWDN. Seriously, you guys, such a great idea. Save yourself some money. And if you're worried about losing data or having any changes with your phone, not going to happen. They walk you through it. Everything's fine. It's the easiest process of all time. Again, that's trymintmobile.com slash WWDN.